0: No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Islanders' ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There's tickets for the Islanders, there's tickets for other sports, but don't forget, there's also tickets for concerts, Broadway, you name it. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Howdy, everyone. This is Arthur Staple, your faithful Islanders correspondent from The Athletic, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Uh, Mark Parrish is unfortunately unavailable for us today. We're going to have a special guest later on, Katie Strang, former Islanders beat writer, uh, former colleague of mine at Newsday, current colleague of mine at The Athletic. She's moved on to uh, bigger and better things than than hockey beat writing, but um, she'll still have some fun memories to share with us. So before we get into all that, um, we'll recap last week's games, uh, the end of the 10-game winning streak, but the continuation of a 12-game streak point streak that heads into tomorrow with the Toronto Maple Leafs and some guy named Tavares who's going to be coming to the Coliseum. Um, the uh, The week last week began with a, a 4-1 win over the Senators uh, in Brooklyn, the first game in Brooklyn this season. Uh, crowd was pretty good. It was about 12,000. That's about what, what they averaged for those three games, which uh, isn't too bad for, for Brooklyn. I, I thought a Tuesday... Uh, a midweek game with a visit from the Senators uh, wasn't going to scream sellout uh, at Barclays, but the fans uh, did turn out. I think uh, it's a nice reminder that uh, for all of the clamoring online and clamoring uh, you know, on, on all social media and to me via email that the Islanders belong at the Coliseum until Belmont is ready. There are still some fans in Brooklyn who have an easier time getting to the games in the city. And uh, I think that's going to be maybe filed away for next season. Um, The last one that they have to fill in games at both arenas before Belmont is planned to be ready for the 21-22 season. I think we're still going to see some games in Brooklyn because there's still some people who either work there and live on the island or live in the city. Um, and that's an easier place for them to get to. And some people do like going there. So, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to see when they're back in one arena in a couple of years, uh, a state of the art one at that, uh, how the fans react to all being together, as opposed to being able to pick and choose where they go to games, whether it's the Coliseum or Barclays. So, uh, they beat up on the senators pretty good in that game. Um, and then Thursday night, was the disappointing end of the 10-game winning streak at the hands of the hated Pittsburgh Penguins. <clears throat> the first game that they played against the Penguins this season more made more disappointing by the fact it was 3 nothing Islanders heading into the third period. And after some uh, tedious research, um, and I think a lot of fans feel like, well, the Islanders used to blow Multi-goal, multi-goal leads in the third period with um, alarming regularity. True, but the last time they did it was December of 2014 in Buffalo, a, a 3 nothing lead heading into the third period in a game that they lost. So it's been a while. Also, that season was pretty successful, that 14-15 season, so they can bounce back from it. Um, I think the, uh, the common thread through that game and then Saturday's bounce-back game, a 2-1 matinee win over the Panthers, was that they were giving up too many chances. Barry Trotz kind of, um, you know, I don't think he was very critical of, of his team's effort uh, in the wake of the win because they just wanted to get back in the win column on Saturday, and Thomas Grice was so good against Florida, uh, I believe it was 37 saves he had in that win, that uh, that he was just happy with the two points. But upon further reflection uh, in talking today after practice, he seemed to feel like these last two games, the, the unifying factor was, they just weren't good enough, um, weren't strong enough on pucks. Uh, against Florida in particular, the penalty kill really struggled under the weight of guys like Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberto, who were really whipping it around well. And Barkov nearly had the uh, the tying goal that was waved off by a by a rightly called high stick in front of the net uh, late in the third period. But, um, yeah, the uh, the Islanders managed to go 2-0-1 in a week where they probably played – Four or five really good periods, so uh should probably take that as a win. Um, the Caps keep on winning, so it's not like they've gained a ton of ground on first place, but the Islanders are the second-best team in the league right now at 12-3-1, and that's uh, that's pretty darn impressive for a team that uh, was, was fairly banged up and, and starting to get a little healthier. Jordan Eberle made his return after missing pretty much the entire win streak. Uh, he came back against the uh, Panthers, uh, after what is believed to be a knee injury, but um, suffered in the first game against the Panthers, which was the beginning of the win streak, a 3-2 shootout win. Uh, and that's pretty impressive, that uh, a guy who's who's a very important piece of their top six, usually the guy that runs shotgun on the right side with Matthew Barzal, he goes out, and their offense started to click actually quite a bit better uh, with with Eberly out. Though it's not a cause and effect situation. They just happened to put the right pieces together. Barzal really... Got on a good tear, um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he um, he managed to survive without his uh, his usual sidekick. So it's good to see Eberle back uh, on Saturday. He seems to be working in well. They put him right back with Barzell and Anders Lee. Josh Bailey played in a in a kind of different role, um, filling in for Matt Martin on the uh, the best fourth line in hockey uh, with Casey Sizikus and Cal Clutterbuck. That really is the third line, given given the deployment that they were using, and it ended up Bailey ended up playing center on that line because Casey Ezekis went out of the Saturday game against the Panthers after blocking a shot with his foot. He was back at practice today, as was Cal Clutterbuck, who missed a practice for maintenance on Sunday. Both those guys are fine. Leo Komarov practiced again. He's he's about up to a, uh, almost a week of practicing. Still been out with uh, uh, a neck injury and an illness that have that have kept him out again. Also, since basically since the point streak began, uh, he seemed like he was closer to be ready to play um, <clears throat> on Wednesday, and it looked like he'll probably be that fourth line guy, Cole Bardrow, who had a had made himself a really nice story and and kind of a a, a key addition via call up um, when so many of the guys went down. Played a solid you know seven eight minutes a night, scored his first NHL goal on a penalty shot against the Senators, which. Uh, made the highlight rounds and certainly was uh, a nice moment for a guy who took a very long time and a very uh, circuitous path to get to the NHL at age 26. And um, He actually went back down and, as bad luck would have it, got hurt right away in Bridgeport, uh, one of their many forwards now who's out. So, uh, we don't know if we'll, we'll see him again this year, but he certainly has something special to, to look back on on that, uh, shootout goal, uh, sorry, that penalty shot goal that broke a 1-1 tie against the Senators and sent the Islanders on their way last week. Also going back down was Oliver Wallstrom, um, the 11th overall pick in the draft uh, in June of 2018. He had a great start to his uh, NHL career. He had a, two really good games, one against the Blues and then against the Winnipeg Jets in the next game. Uh, And since then had been kind of falling off a bit and falling off a bit. And uh, Barry Trotz on Sunday, when they announced that he was that Wallstrom was going back down, said uh, very candidly, that Wallstrom's always been the guy who's the biggest, the most skilled. And now he needs to learn how to play the game. And that can that could sound kind of cutting and uh, and a little terse from from some other coaches. But Barry Trotz knows of what he speaks. Lou Lamarillo is the same. So I think the the goal for Oliver Wallstrom was to spend the majority of this season in the AHL, learn how to play uh, the style that he needs to play while also playing major minutes as as the top-line right wing, top power play unit, maybe even some penalty kill. He's going to learn it all. And uh, actually, since he's been back down, Bridgeport's won a couple games. He's chipped in with a goal. Um, So I think he's where he needs to be right now and and, uh, certainly not playing seven or eight minutes a night in the NHL to help his development. Um, so those two guys went down. Otto Koivula has been ba- up back and forth and back and forth as kind of an emergency call up. He was back again for practice today. If Leo Komarov can't go, they don't have any extra forwards. So it would be interesting to see if he may, if Koivula makes his NHL debut uh, against the Leafs on Wednesday, um, I would say it's less likely than Kamarov returning and, and being the center on that makeshift fourth line with Ross Johnston and, and probably Michael Dalcol. And the Islanders are going to continue to ride the a top nine with Bailey along with Sezikis and Clutterbuck. Derek Broussard still on the wing with Brock Nelson and Anthony Beauvillier on a, on a second line that's been pretty effective. So it's essentially going to be a 9-10 forward rotation with a couple of extra guys thrown in, and, and they're still going to ride that because it's been going well. It's not Barry Trotz's style for sure, but, uh, but if it seems to be working now, coaches tend not to change those things that are working. And on defense, Noah Dobson, did get in a couple games nick letty missed uh, a few three straight games with a lower body injury he returned on saturday as well dobson did just fine uh in his time uh he looked a little overwhelmed at times by the penguins onslaught when they came back from three goals down but so did all the rest of his teammates in that third period on thursday Uh, but dobson really acquitted himself well and and um it's hard to argue right now with the plan that, that Lamorello and Trotz have in place with him, which is not going to be playing every game or even every other game, but when he gets his chances, I think, uh, I think they feel very confident in him, and that that might change some things when we get further on down the season. We'll get to John Tavares and the Leafs for a se- in a second. But first, long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office, treat yourself to the meal you deserve, and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code BELMONT. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code BELMONT. Don't forget, that's promo code BELMONT for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. So now we want to just look a little bit ahead and, uh, like we said at the top, on Wednesday the leafs come to town, John Tavares comes to town. That was cause for some um excitement last February, shall we say. Uh when the leafs came into the to the Coliseum uh for Tavares' first game back on Long Island since he signed his free agent deal with the Leafs. Um you know, the reaction we're not going to we're not going to dissect it too much. Um a couple small things were thrown in warm ups. That's obviously no good, and nobody that was not repeated. Uh, there were lots and lots of chants, and the impressive part to me was how consistent a sold out Coliseum kept going all night every time Tavares was on the ice. There was it wasn't just booing. It was it was we don't need you. Uh, Anders Lee scored a goal. There was a that's our captain chant. Uh, you know some creativity there. It wasn't. It wasn't vulgar, um, you know, and and it was sustained. That is hard to do, you know. I've I've been in buildings before where they'll boo players every time they're on the ice, but the the booing tails off after a few shifts. People can't really keep that up, and sometimes they don't want to because they just want to watch their team and support their team. Islander fans, um, long memories, strong feelings about how it all went down with John Tavares uh, on that first day of free agency in two thousand eighteen. And uh, and they let him know, and um, you know the second time they came back, I think it's funny that that a lot of people forget that about a month later the Leafs came back in that last week of the season, and it's easy to I suppose it's easy to forget because both teams were firmly headed to the playoffs, and the Islanders were you know kind of a few games away from putting the bow on a very successful regular season, Uh, and the Leafs did win that game. Um, There was not nearly as much vitriol, Um, maybe an off season. And uh, some, and the Leafs struggling to get out of the gate to start this season after trying to get all of their young guys signed in the off season. Maybe that will bring it back a little bit more because it's the first one and it's the only one this year. But I have a sneaking suspicion that the fans that wanted to have their say had their say last February 28th, and uh, that you know we're not that's not going to turn to cheers. That's for sure. But I think that'll be enough beyond the usual booing when he steps out on the ice. Booing if his name is mentioned, booing whenever he touches the puck for sure. But uh, but I think the uh, the overwhelming reaction is going to be hard to duplicate. Um, that said, I think there's a there's a nice little bit of nastiness between these two teams. The Islanders uh, really smoked the Leafs in those first two games, and that was you know I think if there was a game that you could put your finger on and say this is the game. Where the Islanders really showed you what they were in 2018-19. It was their first it was their first and only visit to Toronto last season. It came on December 29th. It was a 4-0 win. Matthew Barzal had a hat-trick. Um, and it was it was, you know, it was an embarrassment for Toronto, quite frankly. There were a team that had a lot was expected of, and certainly they produced a lot last year. And Tavares probably felt like, okay, here's a game where my new teammates and I've established myself, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of younger teammates who are very excitable and a chance for, for them to show how much they support him by, by coming out and giving their best effort against his old team. And really it was the Islanders that were that overwhelmed Toronto from the, from the first minute of that game until about there was 10 minutes left in the third period, and the Air Canada Centre looked like uh, it was a midweek day game. Uh, in the preseason, it was completely empty. It was very quiet. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, a, a decided blow to, to the Leafs and what they had put together. Um, you know, the, the game on at the Coliseum, uh, a few months after that had so much emotion in the stands and, and it's hard, you know, I, even guys like, uh, like Tavares who have ever played in the Coliseum for the, were more in the Islanders sweater. Talk about how easy it is to feed off the emotion in, uh, in that building when it's loud and everyone's engaged and it's it's sold out, and that happened a lot that night. I think Casey Ezekis's shorthanded goal kind of cemented things in that one, and that really got everybody going. And it was it was definitely reminiscent of the postseason in 2013 and the postseason in 2015, which. Both were first round losses, but the games at the Coliseum were as loud as any place I've ever been, and the same goes for the first round last year. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the lead, you know I think we all know how the Islanders are going to react. They have some things that they need to clean up from the last two games: uh, the loss to the Penguins, overtime loss to the Penguins, rather, and the narrow win over the over the Panthers. So, um, but usually on, in in the Barry Trotz era so far, they've when they've needed to address things, they've certainly do seem to address them and and tighten things up. I'm curious to see how the Leafs uh, react. And I think we know what John Tavares is going to be like. He's, he's as steady as they come. He doesn't usually take nights off. It's going to be a tougher spot for them. This will be their first full game without Mitch Marner. Um, So they've got, they've got some guys that, that need to show some things on that Toronto side as well. Um, And I think, I think just the pride factor of guy and Tavares, who's been named captain in, in the off season Um, I think, uh, I think he's, he can lead as much as he can lead, but if they don't follow, um, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I don't know that a, a Leafs win will reverberate quite as much around the Islanders room, the way that an Islanders win, especially one like they had in those two games last year, that one could reverberate around the Toronto room because the, the media tends to amplify those things up there. There's a lot more of them up there than there are down here. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, It's got a lot of compelling storylines. I don't know that there's too many around the Islanders, but there certainly are a lot around the the visiting side to come on Wednesday. And then after that, the Islanders go down to Philly to face uh, the Flyers on Saturday. They've already beaten up Philly once, and uh, we'll see if they can do that in in what's going to turn out to be a pretty light week, and we'll see who's who's back uh, and who's healthy and who's ready to go and uh, who might be taking a seat uh, up front. On D, they seem to be going along – the same way they always have, I would expect Semyon Varlamov to play against the Leafs tomorrow, Thomas Grice on Saturday. Uh, again, Barry Trotts going with what's working, and what's working is alternating those goalies who have very similar stats, and both are, have been real lights out. We'll welcome in Katie Strang in a minute, but first, this word from DraftKings. Weekends are made for football, and with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I think about it, with all the hoops and hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. This week, DraftKings is running a first touchdown scorer promotion. Just bet on the first touchdown scorer in the Steelers-Browns game and get protected with your wager back if they score at any point in the game. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, maybe even Baker Mayfield. I'd probably go with Odell myself. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, Islander fans, we're joined by a very, very special guest. Um, You probably remember her, not probably, definitely remember her from her time with Newsday as the Islander's beat writer in the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s, before yours truly took over. Um, And now she's a rock star here for us at The Athletic. Let me welcome my good friend, Katie Strang. Hi.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs)
0: Thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, so we uh, we decided to have Katie on to talk a little bit about kind of whatever, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna quiz her too much on the 2019-20 Islanders. I think we already covered that on this Thank show. God. <laughs> so we'll go back in time a little bit to a to a, a simpler time when the Islanders were bad and somewhat controversial at times. What do you remember about that time? That was your first pro beat back in the day it
1: was um i mean i just remember now probably like i'm so glad that i didn't realize how out of my depths i was at the time (laughs) i really didn't um because it's like giving me retroactive anxiety to think about how like ill prepared i probably was to be doing that job but you know like anything and you were a huge mentor for me. Um, oh at well, Newsday. you were. That's
0: really why we brought you on the show was to say nice yeah. things about me. So yeah, I tiners, that. Sure.
1: Um, but I just remember them being. It's interesting, and you'll have really fascinating insight on this too. But the two, the two years that I covered of, of of those Islanders teams. So the first. So my first year was Tavares's first year. So that 2009 season. Those, um, and then I left after the 2010, 2011 season. Those teams were almost historically bad. I mean, really bad. And it's funny because, like, I remember that being a challenge, really difficult, especially because I was only the only beat writer that traveled with the team at the time. But it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that happens when you cover a really bad team. Because you find out very quickly about people's character, right? Like, there's always guys you go to after a big win. And the guys that you know you can always count on after a big loss. And there were much more in the latter category. (laughs) And, like, I'm looking through this roster right now. And those were some dog days. But I'll tell you what. That roster of players those two years, it's just some glorious human beings, like some really, really, really good people that treated me with probably more kindness um, than I deserved, you know, it just, gosh, I'm looking at some of these names, you know, you when I th- and maybe part of it was just that, you know, I was young and I was learning and not really sure what I was doing. Um, but those are, you always like remember those people that were good to you back then because you needed it, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Was there anybody, any couple people that really stood out to you from oh, kind gosh, of day I'm looking one? Oh, i through
1: this. Um, I mean, Franz Nielsen, <laughs> you and I have talked about this. He's, he's yeah. one of the best human beings in the game, just a, a really stellar person um, and someone that I still get to see occasionally now that I live in Michigan. He's in Detroit. Um, Josh Bailey's great. God, Blake Como's great. I mean, John Tavares is the most... Um, Down to earth superstar. I think you can find Kyle Poso. Shoot, he, you know, he introduced me to Harry Potter books, so I will always appreciate that. Rob Shrimp was a beauty. I thought I was gonna not like him, um, and I ended up really, really enjoying him. Oh boy, who else? I'm looking. To- Nate Thompson. Gosh, he's a good guy. Radic Martinic. Um, One of the I best. I mean, it's so many good guys. Like My- Michael Haley. I'm like, I'm glad to see that he's still in the league. There are a lot of nice people, and, and the coaches with that team um, were great too. So Scott Gordon, Scott Allen, Dean Chenault, um three you know salt of the earth people, really, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's and and I'm sure that you've felt this way. And I, I mean, I remember I, I was kind of your sidekick a little bit for some of those those wacky games when I was doing a little <laughs> bit of hockey back then. Before you unceremoniously left for bigger and better things, uh, and left me holding the bag in 2011. But I think uh, when you're in those circumstances where the team is bad and some people are a little surly and everything around the team is just very just has that heavy air. when you run into those people when their circumstances have changed, it's almost like, oh hey, you were in the foxhole with me I, exactly we got out you know like yes I, I, who it's... is there someone that you've seen in the intervening years, whether it's a coach or a staffer whomever you've been like, you know, nobody apologizes, of course, because you don't. That's not really how it works. But the, where, where your friendship has has grown because you're not in those circumstances anymore. Sure. you're not it, new. You know.
1: Yeah. So I would say, like, I talk to Scott Gordon a ton more now. Um, you know, than I did then, right? Because it was this constant, like, and he was always super professional and very kind and understanding. But you know, like, I mean, I was the one that was having to like badger him twice a day about things that he probably did not really care to talk about. Um, <laughs> and we had a really good working relationship then. But now, um, you know, I enjoy probably such a different relationship with him because we're both not in that situation. The dynamic's different. Like, he he texted me on my wedding day. He's a wonderful human being um, and I think a brilliant hockey mind. So I'm glad that, you know, um, he's still, you know, in the, you know, I think we'll probably get another NHL head coaching job. Um, oh, God, I've, it, Matt Martin. I love Matt Martin. You know, I've known him since he was like 17, 18. He's a great guy. Obviously, he's on his second tour with the, with the Islanders. But, yeah, it is funny that you're right. That's an interesting phenomenon that um, when you go through some stuff with people, you know, you kind of always – you have a better gauge on on their – Ability to sift through the difficult stuff and answer the tough questions. I remember Brendan Witt always being really, really good in those tough situations. Um, and he was an intimidating guy. Like, I don't yeah. I don't feel like I get intimidated easily. And, and Brendan, you know, I think, like, maybe barked at me a few times in the beginning, but was really, really good to me um, and someone I really enjoyed covering.
0: Well, you, of course, broke the story that he... Was it Pittsburgh or Philadelphia? It was Pittsburgh, right? Where he bounced oh God, off that's a right. truck walking. No, it was walking.
1: Philly. Philly. It was philly, yes. He got hit by an SUV <laughs> and still played the next night. So it's like the quintessential, you know, kind of fetishization of hockey players being super, super tough, right? Um, but yeah, like I'll always remember that. That, of course, Brennan Witt would <laughs> I like, you know, get hit by an SUV in the crosswalk getting his morning latte and be like, Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's where it spills over in real life where you're like, no, 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 that's not how we don't, we don't do that here where you get hit <laughs> by a car and, and then you just go on your merry way to the, to the doctor, you know, to, to the hospital to go work as a nurse or do what, you know, or go serve, you know, serve coffee or something. We don't, nobody does that. Um, yeah. did you, uh, you know, that was an era where Twitter was, existed, but didn't, wasn't really sort of in the, in our business, the form that it's in now. Oh, um, yeah and that you know must have been a saving grace for you but but it, for me all these years especially in Twitter's heyday I find you know there's ups and downs when it comes to interacting with Islander fans they're very passionate and intense and Twitter is mm-hmm. a passionate and intense place to be but you also find some real gems of fans who are who are just you know who want to connect and be feel closer to the team did you have any of those moments and and in the years that you've been really gone from just doing the Islanders, do you do you find that there's still a connection? There's still there's still some fondness from a lot of fans, like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, like oh, I sure. remember you did X, Y, and Z. And they're oh, yeah. like, I don't like, even I, remember that.
1: I still talk to and I hope I'm not butchering his name, but um, Mike Sherline. Like I talk to oh, him sure, all sure. the time. Um, he's wonderful. Um, you know, there there are yeah, I, I feel like you know, in some ways it's the essence of what you want in a fan base and it's the opposite, right? Like Islanders fans are very knowledgeable (laughs) and very zealous. So it's like, if you're knowledgeable, that's great, right? Like, and I think they really recognize passion and hard work and a commitment to covering the team, right? But I feel like at first I probably just got crushed because I didn't know (laughs) what I was doing, you know? And it took me some time and that's, you know, I can recognize now that I was, you know, 24, 25, I probably would have done some things differently. But so I would say there was kind of like a, an adjustment curve. I think, you know, I was probably drew some ire of Islanders fans at first, but then, then I think that there was a real healthy level of respect and in, in discourse by, by the time that I left.
0: Well, I'm sure too, that there's much like a lot of us who have known you professionally for a long time to see what you've done since then, I'm sure they feel like, Hey, she was one of us once and now look at her.
1: Well, yeah. And I still <clears> like, I mean, that still, if I think about what was probably the most formative experience of my career, um, outside of maybe like covering the NASA trial for us, um, that was, that was definitely it in terms of like hockey writing. Um, there is no simulation for being a beat writer it's the only way in which you really get um, that sort of baptism by fire that you truly understand the the nuance and the dynamics of a team um, to be able to write about that team with authority and so that was a great learning experience for me it was really stressful um and i just i didn't like exercise for like two whole years because i was just. <laughs> constantly worried that I was going to miss, like, a hamstring injury, where, you know, now I'm 35. I can realize that the world's not going to end if I'm feeding my child and something minor breaks and I'm not there to cover it. But yeah, yeah it was it was great. I have such fond memories of that. There's and, and not even just the players um and the coaches, but like the people or even the people around the rink, like, you know, Betsy's the security guard at NASA Coliseum. Dean Lykos, the security guard at NASA Coliseum. Like there were just so many nice people around the team that even when I was having a bad day, um, would just really brighten it. And and you you totally need those people for your sanity, right? It's yeah, such a,
0: definitely.
1: It's such a grind, and so you can get really discouraged by like the minutia, and you can get lost in that, and really downtrodden. But it's just those like those people that are just good human beings that pick you up kind of when you need it.
0: Yeah. Was there? A, did you have kind of a welcome to the NHL moment? I know we always talk to players about that, where they like step on the ice and Sidney Crosby, you know, basically pulls their pants down and goes around them. But uh, as writers too, we have them. You know, the first year that you're covering or the first few weeks that you're covering, especially like you said on a beat where nobody else is around, so you have no colleagues to really compare notes to or people to follow um was there something that happened yeah Yeah. oh good i'm glad it came right (laughs) up let's hear it
1: so one of the so my first training camp was in saskatoon saskatchewan
0: Ah, uh, yes. Um, the old days when when Charles Wong <laughs> would sell training camp to the highest exactly, bidder. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It is the Paris of the prairies. I don't know if you know that. Um, and I will say I've had some of the best Vietnamese food of my life in Saskatoon. But That's a whole um, other podcast. I like it. <laughs> exactly. But. So I remember... Now, this might have been the first preseason game that I covered. If it wasn't the first, it was one of the first. Um, and this is back when we had, like, you know... Early deadlines, and you know, Calgary was, I think, two hours behind. Um, mm-hmm. so we, yeah. y- you know, how it is when you're up against it. And so that first game was Theo Fleury, some like Theo Fleury was on like a PTO or something with the Flames and was having this like resurge, like you know, sort of short lived resurgence in the NHL, and um. I remember he won the game in in a shootout, um, but more, most importantly, um, Kyle Oposo got just crushed right. by a Dion hit. Right, Dion Phaneuf, I yes. believe, was the guy. Yeah. Yes, and he—I'm pretty sure, if memory serves—that he had to be taken off on a stretcher, mm-hmm. and it was very serious. Like you could tell immediately that this was not just like any, you know big punishing crushing hit like th- there, there was going to be a serious injury involved with this and it set the stage for like a lot of retaliation and, and that followed and, and stuff like that. I, I will always remember talking to Matt Martin after that game and kind of realizing it's a good foreshadowing of what was to come for Matt Martin's career right because he was probably 18 or 19 at the time And you know how, like, young guys don't always want to go out on a limb or say anything provocative. And I remember asking him about that hit. And, like, he stood there and he, I mean, he was very forthcoming about how he felt about that hit and what was going to be done as a team about that hit. And so that was, like, my first kind of exposure to, like, all right, this kid's for real. He's going to have a long (laughs) career in the NHL. You know, like, you realize, I realized very early that he was going to be a glue guy.
0: Yeah. That's good.
1: Oh, and um, then obviously the catwalk, it was like shaking. You know, <laughs> I'm not right. like ai am not terrified of heights, but I don't love them. But you know, when Theo scored that goal, I mean, the place was shaking. And as to anyone that hasn't been in that press box in Calgary, it's terrifying.
0: Yeah, it's it's basically held together by by gum and and a little bit of spit or something. yeah, that's held out from the ceiling. it's uh, and it's still like that. That's one of the few places you can actually say. It's the same as it was 10 years ago when you were totally. there. Oh, that's good. Um, so now <clears throat> you just uh, spearheaded uh, our Hockey Culture Blitz, uh, a wave of stories that were incredibly compelling and, and very diverse in the, in the topics they covered. Were there anything that, that either you worked on or that you kind of helped guide to the forefront uh, in these last months or so that you've been working on it that was, that was really felt like it was something you know you you know when you're working on something important did it feel that way to you
1: yeah it did like i was really proud of the way that you know the goal so these these are kind of the stories that interest me the most like i don't write about games really anymore i i try to write about things that are more issue based and topical um and so these are kind of the stories in my wheelhouse and so we had a ton of fun like conceiving the ideas and discussing the ideas and the execution and, and whatnot. Um, but the goal was always to spark discussion and to kind of create this robust, nuanced dialogue um, that we don't always have, right, in the hockey sphere. Um, we talk about this kind of nebulous term of culture. In some ways, it's used as a as a good thing. And sometimes it's kind of used as a pejorative, right, that we yeah. make fun of of our own sport, because it's so obsessed with, you know, quote unquote culture. And so we wanted to really kind of explore the depths of what that means. And, and that meant to us, you know, kind of celebrating some of the quirkiness and fun traditions and, you know, poke fun at some of the humorous elements of that, but then also to really probe on some of the more insidious uh, parts of that as well. And so I was very proud that I think we were ambitious in what we tried to do. Um, I know for myself, like, I would have probably tried to execute a f- at least one of my stories differently than I did. Um, but I think we got the ball rolling and the conversation started. Like, I thought Dom's piece on gender diversity um, in hockey ops departments was great. I love Sean Gordon's Art of the Chirp. <laughs> um, you know, th- the drug story was one that I felt we had just been, like, kind of overlooking and not doing for years because we kind of tacitly accepted that is an open fact instead of just writing about it. Um, So I'm glad that I finally got to do that. Uh, Craig's book piece was my favorite of the entire (laughs) series. Um, We've been talking about that forever and we're both bookworms. Um, So it was nice to kind of have a replenishment of good recommendations. (laughs)
0: Well, I'll let the listeners know that that Katie and my wife, Beth, are uh, basically in their own little long-distance book club, and that whenever there's a book that gets read on one side or the other, there's a lot of texting going back and forth about it. So um, that, unsurprisingly, was Beth's favorite story of the Culture Blitz as well. So kudos to Craig for conceiving it and pulling it off. It's funny we talk. you mentioned about gender diversity, because as you know from your time, covering the Islanders and my time covering the Islanders. They have, I believe the longest serving woman of any front office who's still there in Joanne Hollowa. Yeah. And, um, people who are around the Islanders probably don't know a lot about Joanne because she doesn't want anybody to know anything about her or that she (laughs) even, that she even still works there, even though she's really, you know, she's kind of been the brains behind the operation for a long, long time. She goes back to the Bill Torrey days. Um, I think her title now is manager of hockey administration and, and, that probably, I think, from the, the time that I was around, that I've been around her, and certainly when, when Garth was, Snow was GM, when you had a little bit more access to people than, than when Lou's been there, you start to learn pretty quickly from being around her that, that she knows her stuff and knows me probably a lot more than everybody else in that front office.
1: Oh, 100%. <laughs> and, like, I don't know if it's the case for you, but, like, she definitely saved my ass on a few different occasions of, like, <laughs> you know, travel snafus where she'd oh, be like, yeah. I can help with this. Yeah, she's she's one of those great, you know, sort of unsung heroes of the organization, and someone whose value um, a lot of people don't know about. But kind of the straw that stirs the drink, and someone that is relied upon for probably a multitude of responsibilities. And you know, the operation couldn't run nearly as smoothly um, if she wasn't there.
0: Yeah, and to to have navigated all the different ownerships and front end general managers and coaches and players and learned all the different rules when it comes to visas and things like that. It's yeah, it's amazing that and she's the most unassuming grandmother you could ever want to meet too. She's just the <laughs> sweetest. So it's it's funny when when you and I talked about that gender diversity piece, she was the first one that came to mind. And we write lots and lots of stories about, you know, uh, Rob Rossi's piece about Jen Ridgely uh, in Pittsburgh was a great one. And and highlighting people who were we don't normally see in front offices and she's always been one. And I and I do remember when I first started at the athletic and, and Garth was still the GM. And I said to him, it's like, I want to write a story about Joanne and he just kind of snickered in his way. And was just like, yeah, good luck. Because even if they gave me, unfettered access to follow joanne around for for two days straight she'd she'd dutch she'd ditch me for sure because she's just not interested in in taking that kind of credit or being in the spotlight in any way but it's um she's a she's a definitely a special a special person they have and so while we're talking about culture and uh... timely unfortunate timing but uh... don cherry's uh... foot-in-mouth moment that led to his dismissal from Coach's corner after many many years what did you make of that and and having worked on all these stories and talked to so many different players and front office people about these these cultural issues whether it's diversity or all these other you know issues among players and coaches what did you make of all of it and and do you think that that him being gone now from this sort of prominent perch is is in some ways gonna help this culture that we talk about
1: uh I do um but i I guess I should offer the caveat is I think it probably depends on who they replace him with and and what sort of vibe they try to, you know, create and what sort of voices they think um, or believe are are worth amplifying. And so I think that'll be a really interesting thing to follow. Um, The one thing that's difficult for me on Don Cherry is I'm not Canadian and I didn't grow up a hockey fan. And... um, So I don't understand, you know, I can understand enough from like reading people that did grow up with him and has, you know, people whose childhood is sort of interwoven with memories of, you know, him on Saturday night and and his commentary. Um, So it's probably, I just want to kind of recognize my own bias is that it's probably easier for me to say they cut up. Should have cut him loose a long time ago. Right. Um, then it would be for most people, you know, that are hockey fans. Because if you grew up with him in Canada, it's maybe not so simple from the nostalgia factor. Um, to me, this has like been a ticking time bomb. And like he was, he said so many um, egregiously inappropriate, misogynistic. Um, You know, uh, know, isolationist, so many things that I think at the very heart of the matter have othered people, have created a really toxic dynamic of us versus them, and have, I think his commentary really cultivated a sense of hockey um, belongs to a certain subset of people, and other people are not welcome to that. Um, So I've sort of felt that way. About him for a long time. I think it was 2013 in which he said that women shouldn't be allowed in a locker room. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if I wasn't soured on him already, i probably, <laughs> that probably yeah. sealed the deal. Yeah. Um, but I think when, when you look at that in this intersection of hockey culture, one of the other reasons that we um, chose to do this series is because we've all kind of felt like that this culture is changing right now, that there is, you know, the demographics of the league are getting younger. We're seeing more and more younger players make an impact um, at a at a younger age. And I think we're seeing a more kind of socially aware, progressive NHL player, um, as well as, you know, people in management ownership too. Um, and I think with that, there's been... A shift in an evolution in attitudes and beliefs and so i'm not surprised that you know what he might have gotten away with saying a few years ago um is no longer something that the hockey world feels is acceptable and so i'm glad that sportsnet um reacted accordingly
0: yeah it's uh it definitely feels like it's changed at least from that end and and like you said, I'm curious to see see where they go with it. Um, as always, my dear friend, this has been uh, a great conversation. I'm glad that uh, everybody else gets to share in it a little bit because we do have some of these conversations from time to time, not as many as we used to, but it was nice to get a little blast from the past, especially talking about guys like Franz Nielsen and Robbie <laughs> Schremm. Yeah. So thank Boy, you. Thank you. One. Thank you so much. Thank you. And also, uh, I yes. should
1: say, thank you. Um, we just cracked open one of the bottles of wine that you sent us um, <laughs> after the birth of our daughter, and it, it was delicious.
0: <laughs> well, that's the idea. Um, that's all we've got uh, for No Sleep Till Belmont this week. Everybody, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you again next week.